What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Sunday League Screamers podcast. I'm your host of today's show, Steve McCutcheon, along with my two co-hosts, Vito Inazelli and Michael Nowen. We have another great show for you, but before that, please take a moment, hit the bell, subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcast. Also, follow us on Twitter at the SLScreamers underscore pod. Boys, we got a lot to jump into for today's show. Let's head right to the news and notes from around the world. Uh, first off, just kicking it off in the Premier League real quick. Um, this news came pretty much right after our last podcast dropped. The Premier League has voted in five sub, or will allow five substitutions next season uh this was also ruled during project restart uh after COVID. what's your guys thoughts on it who does it favor who does it hurt uh sucks definitely favors bigger teams no other way to put it <laughs> like uh if you have a squad depth that man city has or liverpool or any of those teams chelsea you name it um obviously like they can afford to bring in these players who have more quality off the bench the only way I can see an argument for lower level teams is if they go, Hey, you know, it gives us a chance to employ more youth hypothetically, or potentially like they get to bring up people who get to call could be called in, but overall um, it definitely is going to hurt. It's going to hurt lower level teams. It's going to make the games more than likely higher scoring, which probably for TV's rights is going to be good. And they'll want to be able to market that in the U S and abroad. But um, overall I can't see, who else the benefits besides the bigger clubs and ultimately the pockets of the FA. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's the only way lower teams are going to be helped out by this is if they take off five attackers and put in five defenders when they sit back against <laughs> uh, <laughs> Liverpool's and, and uh, Manchester cities, but it kind of feels like it takes away from t- some of the tactical uh, essence of the game and the, the managers impact in it because you're essentially now have the ability, ability to swap out half of your team. Obviously, you're not swapping your goalkeeper very often, if ever. So you go into halftime going, mm, I made a bit of a hash of that. Okay, well, here's five new players with a different play style. We'll lock it that way. It's it's too many. I think, I mean, I get it. There's tired legs. This just seems like their solution to their greed of adding more games to the regular season. Now that now they can say, oh, look what we did. You can, you can rest some guys. It's like. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not really the point. You want the highest quality and, and tactical battle and kind of goes up the window with this to an extent. In my opinion, the only way this would be acceptable to add more subs and they were kind of starting already to do this, but as if like somebody's like injured for like a serious injury, concussion, something along those lines. And then yep. in which case that's okay. But beyond that, to add extra subs, just to add extra subs makes no sense. Yeah. I, I, I thought head injuries were automatic substitutions without the use of a substitution already though. So like it is now, but okay. like, it oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. It just seems like it just seems like overkill. Like cut cut the middle for do that. <laughs> Still one too many. Yeah, <laughs> too many for your liking. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, heading over to some Champions League action that we had so far: Manchester City one nil with Atletico uh, Madrid. Atletico didn't even take a shot on goal or just a shot in general throughout the entire match. Interesting there, the uh, Seminole style. Uh, Benfica won, Liverpool three, Chelsea won, Real Madrid three, and then Villarreal with the shock upset at home, 1-0 to Bayern. Yeah. Um, What's your guys' take about any of those score lines? Well, my one of my favorite quotes came from Kevin De Bruyne after that uh, City Atletico game where he said, I, I, you see it more and more frequently against us when um, – when teams drop into like a low block and they just stick so many men behind the ball, but he's like, I've never played against a team that did a five, five, zero formation before. <laughs> like they didn't have a striker. <laughs> so, I mean, you're not surprised. 
you're, you're judged ultimately on whether or not you get the result you were aiming for. And obviously that was to take a drawback to the Wanda Metropolitano where Atletico could thrive a little bit more than Eddie had. So if it came out that way, you're going to say, well, that's the game. They played it the way they're supposed to, but a one zero scoreline makes Simeone look a little foolish here, especially zero shots. Um, it just it's just another testament to the strength of City, in my opinion. This is just another round where you look at the top teams and go, any other team in the world sits, you know, any other team plays Atletico Madrid in that low block five five zero formation. How many of them are going to break them down for that goal? You can probably count on on two three fingers tops. Who's going to do that? And the other other one for me is Liverpool. I don't even know if Byron breaks him down. So do you? I'm sorry. Do you think it actually really? I I don't think it was a bad result for Atletico. To be honest with you, in my it's, opinion, it's it's, like, it's not. One, I don't right? think one nil away. Their whole point was don't get blown out. Bring this bring this tie back to home like home field advantage. Not many teams succeed very well when they play against them. Uh, play against them at the Wanda. No, I agree. I, I think it's a bad. I just favor Simeone. I don't think it's a bad result. It just wasn't what like they they were hoping to go back there with a zero zero score line, like plain simple, like obvious, obviously, you know. So absolutely, but the whole point was not to get blown out three 0 Do you think they're able to go back to the Wanda though and do it down one zero right now? Yeah, if any team could. What they says they can't win one nothing go to extra time? They have a history of doing that. That's true. Extra time back at home. They have yeah, more I, than I, enough history. I, to I do think that. it played really well to them. Personal opinion. Uh, I think they got care of business. I was just going to say, they, they got undone by a moment of magic by Phil Foden at the end of the day. Like, oh, it wasn't like it wasn't like it was a bad game for them, to Steve's point, you know? So, I think they have it all to play for, honestly. Yeah. It's, it's still very open for them. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Liverpool took care of business. Not really too much there. They honestly flipped the gift at the goal to Benfica anyway. Uh, big score on here, Real Madrid 3-1 over at Stanford Bridge over Chelsea. Chelsea gifted him a goal, very sloppy defending, and just could not finish, whereas Real Madrid had Kareem Benzema, and that was pretty much uh, you know game. Yeah, I, I, Steve, I think I messaged, I, I messaged you guys while, while I was watching the game, too, and I said, what was it, the 10th the minute, I was like, Vinicius Jr. is going to have an absolute field day down this wing, and he just torched Christensen every chance he got. I mean, that first goal that was set up was uh, he picked up the ball, had Christensen one-on-one, Played a one-two off of Benzema, slotted him in, then Benzema followed up in a header. I mean, it was three passes and zero, no one within you know five yards of either of them. It just was terrible from Chelsea on both sides of the field. I don't I think if that's a, a normal Chelsea performance, that game goes completely different, obviously. So I think it was more of a bad game rather than Real Madrid being a better team, uh, in my opinion. I mean, Eduard Mendy gifts them a third goal. Like, absolutely gifts them. And then just uh, Lukaku had a, a sitter in the second half to at least claw it back at 3-2, which which went away. And Ziyech had one in the last couple of minutes as well that he, he just got over. I mean, just, it just seemed very symbolic of – not symbolic, very um, reminiscent of just what Real Madrid does well, and that's Kareem Benzema going the fuck off and Chelsea squandering in front of the net, in front of the opposition net. For me, at least. I don't disagree. Do you think Rudiger could have done anything differently um, on that pass or that that mistake by uh, Mendy? He kind he does get to the ball first, kind of goes in with the wrong foot on the tackle, maybe just poke it away instead of trying to meg uh, Benzema on that one. Yeah, I, I think he probably could have done a little bit better. But if anything, if any of my criticism for Rudiger comes into play, it's on the second goal um, when Benzema scored. Um, 
I'm sorry, the first goal, Alvin Benzema scored his first header. On that one-two, they were the only two attacking outlets forward. And Aspilicueta um, and um, and Rudiger were both in the middle, and no one kind of tracked over. There was no trailing runner behind Benzema. It was free range for Rudiger to get over there and put a block in. And he was stuck in the middle. I get that's how you play with zone marking, but identifying that danger for me was probably his bigger mistake of the two. Because realistically, that comes down to Mendy not clearing the ball. I mean, we know he's not great with his feet. Very fair, very fair. And anything you guys want to touch upon with the uh, the Bayern game? Do you think Villarreal could do it? Do you think it's they a, could do it? It's a hell of a result so far. I mean, what happened with uh, who was Bayern's round of sixteen opponents? Because they went into they went in there. And I don't it was remember Salzburg. Who. Yeah, Salzburg. Yeah, because they, they went lost. there what one one draw. The oh yeah 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 you're right. And then they blew him out. And then I think, five, I think Byron put down like six or seven one. Five one. Yeah. I think Aronson got an assist that game. Yeah. He did. yeah. I, think he assisted, I think he actually assisted both their goals. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to watch. So who I mean, after the first first leg, I mean, who do you guys have going through at this point? I mean, I think the only one that you could act absolutely say is probably the closest to being locked up is Liverpool. Do you disagree? No. Everything's still to play for. Listen, Chelsea, I think, is more than likely out of it, which obviously sucks as being a fan. But at the same time, there's no reason they can't go in there and win 2 0. Like they have the talent, but I mean, they have to play like a near perfect game. I think the Chelsea and Liverpool games are the the Chelsea Liverpool ties. They're wrapped up as is. I don't think the teams that are in front are not going to let those leads slip away. What do you think is more likely, though? uh, Villarreal holding on to the lead against Bayern or Atletico making the comeback in the Wanda? If you had to pick, what what would be the more likely of the opposite? Ath- Atletico making Atletico. the comeback in the Wanda. Atletico? Yeah. Atletico. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to be at home. Man City, you know, up until last year, always seemed to get bounced in, in the early, like, kind of knockout rounds. They never can make a pass at semifinals, quarterfinals. Um, I mean, granted, listen, they're probably, they're probably the best team in the world, if not second best. But strange things happen. This is classic Pep overthinking territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> big time. It's gonna make for. I mean, if if the, the quote unquote bigger teams go through, like Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, and Man City, that's gonna make for one hell of a semifinal matchup between the teams. Oh, absolutely. Let's head over though, boys. We have some. Awesome news. The FIFA, the 2022 FIFA World Cup draw finished up last Friday. Um, felt like it was going to take forever. The pregame or the pre, pre-show took a <laughs> solid, what, like hour, hour and a half of just dancing and a bunch of different speaking of languages. And well, they, have to, cover, just, they have to cover up all the, you know, bribery somehow. They got to yeah. distract you in some type of way. Make it worth your wild, right? <laughs> big point, big point. Um. Obviously, the talking point after every every kind of draw like this, even in Champions League, the, like any, any tournament, is like who's in the group of death? What's the group of death? What does it look like? Do you guys see one that really stands out? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think off the top of my head, when I first read the groups, when I initially came out, Group H popped out to me. So the Portugal, Uruguay, South Korea, and Ghana group. And then on top of that, the – where is it? The group, group C. C, group C, group C, group C. So 
Mexico, Argentina, Poland, and then Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia. But Saudi Arabia is a good team also, but they'll probably get steamrolled. But um, that's a lot of talent in those in those groups. So I think H is probably the most group of deathy vibes. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I had Group H picked as well. I don't. I don't think any team in there is incredibly overpowered. To be honest with you, out of all teams in, in Pot One, um, with the exception of Qatar because they're hosts, obviously, I think Portugal is probably the most underpowered of them. Um, but I think the overall quality of Group H makes that the group of death. I, I, I think any one of those teams can go through, especially even at the top. Yeah. What I love about it too is we get it feels like open every group. It felt like the FIFA scriptwriters were really in their bag for every single group yep. that they had going on here. Because in Group H, if you look at it, Uruguay versus Ghana. Remember Luis yep. Suarez, the handball situation. They're already calling it a revenge game. You have obviously the U.S.'s group with England, who fuck England from now on, Iran, and then potentially Ukraine. Like Jesus Christ, or like, Wales, <laughs> or Wales. I mean, the script writes itself, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, I mean, these are some really fantastic groups. I, I mean, they really, like, they are all just generally well balanced. Like, it's outside of Group D with France, and, and, like, that, yeah. Denmark, Tunisia, and then the IC playoff one spot. I think you can't really make a determination on who's going to go through. I, I mean, There's look not at the, one other group. Yeah, every group besides the one Vito just named in Group D, in my opinion, has at least a minimum of three teams go that could potentially go through, if not all four. Yeah. I this is like the most balanced draw I've ever seen. Yep. Group G is going to be extremely interesting, too. Cameroon's not a bad team. And Serbia is That's actually, if I had to pick a group, well that's mine. Yeah. Really? Yeah. With Bra- Obviously, you got Brazil as the powerhouse, but then you take Switzerland. Serbia is actually a very underrated team. I, I think Serbia is the dark horse of the entire tournament. I'm going to be honest. I think they make a serious run in this Same. in that World Cup. You think? And you take Serbia, Serbia, a great, a great typical like like African nation. Like they, you know, they make they make decent runs. Or they play teams very, very tough. I any one of those like Brazil could collapse in a group like that, and I would not be shocked. Do I think it's going to happen? No. But like you're telling me, Serbia can't take points with left, Cameroon can't, or Switzerland. I would, yeah, it's 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 nuts. I I have I have the Dutch as my dark horse as potential winners of the whole tournament. I think, I mean, look at De Vrij, Frankie De Jong, Memphis Depay, Bergwijn, um, Matthias De Ligt. I think there's so much talent. I think they're going to skate through Group A for the most part, and then it's a face off between the second place team in Group B, which is hopefully. The United States, if they don't finish top of the group, that is. Um, <laughs> when, so I, I, I don't know. I think the Dutch have a chance to go extremely deep in this tournament. Wouldn't shock me one bit. They got like I don't want to say they got a favorable draw because I think uh, Senegal yeah. and Ecuador yeah. are also very good teams. And then anytime you play the, all right, you got a favorable yeah. in a in the sense of compared to some of the other groups. I don't know. I th- I personally think Group A is the weakest group of the of all of all eight groups. Overall, Qatar, Netherlands, Senegal, Ecuador, just for anybody listening. Right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Good point. Um, I mean, listen, playing a home nation, never easy. And they're going to open up, I'm assuming, with their, that game, right? Or not. Oh, no, no, no. They got the fourth spot, it looks like, in the group. Right. They got A4. Okay. So they're probably opening up with Senegal. Not an easy matchup. Yeah. See what happens with that. But you got the home nation in there, a really good African team, Sadio Mane. They, they're very high powered offense, in my opinion. Ecuador, I'll be honest, I don't know too much about. But if you're getting 
to the World Cup at a carnival, you're doing something pretty pretty good. Yeah. Ecuador, from what I've read, has a very young and talented team, almost kind of like in a sense like the U.S. Like they're kind of going through that generational transition as as a group of players. So it's definitely a team to be on the, the watch for. They they tore up Conable from my, my understanding. Really? Yeah, they, they did very well. Good for them then. It's awesome. Um, Want to just go kind of a little bit in depth on the uh, USA's group, obviously being a little biased yeah. on that one. Um, England – Pot one, USA pot two, uh, Iran was pot three, and then pot four was either was the European playoff between Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine. Any of those three uh, could easily come through there. My thoughts initially, a perfect kind of group for a young US team in the first World Cup. We got a powerhouse like England. We got storylines behind them like for years and years. Um, an Iranian team, I think we have, who is really good. I think this is the third straight World Cup they've qualified mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to be solid as well. They're not going to be necessarily an easy out, but a team that's very, very much beatable. And then Wales, Scotland, Ukraine, teams that are beatable, but then also on their their best day to, could, could easily take us 2-0. So I think it's a, like a very competitive group for us. They're going to be tested. It's a group we are, I'm going to say easily, but we should definitely get out of or have a great potential to get out of. And I'm really excited to see where we're going to go with this one. I'm going to be honest, the one team out of those three that give me the biggest nightmares to play against by far for like that third IC spot, Wales, by far. There is nothing in the world scarier than an informed Gareth Bale playing for Wales because that's the only team he plays for, apparently. Yes, he's just the national team. <laughs> he just plays with the national team. But when he plays for them, he literally turns into prime, you know, 2013 Gareth Bale. So – yeah. God, God forbid, like we play against them. I don't know how anybody who would be on the left would be Anto- Jedi matching up with Gareth Bale. That actually be a. Very I don't good know how I feel about that. <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I would echo that, Mike. I, if I was gonna say that right before, right before you did. I mean, even regardless of the fact of the quality of players that Wales have, they're definitely the more physical of any of those three teams by far. And I think with this, uh, with the forwards that we have in and Pulisic um, and Brendan Aronson and uh, even Timothy Weah, I think that physicality aspect is, uh, is going to be dangerous for them. It's definitely going to be, it definitely be an issue. We're not going to, we're not going to body those defenders off, plain no. and simple, not with the front line that we have. And even their forwards are going to be able to, I mean, the pace of Daniel James is going to absolutely yeah, but he can't, tear apart. But he can't, he can't finish. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you ever watch him play? He gets in great position. He cannot finish. Yeah, but no, I, I would agree. I mean, no disrespect to Scotland, but I think anyone looking at this Group B would would hope that you know that's a fan of either Iran, England, or USA would be hoping that Scotland would come through as that fourth place team because the the technical quality of Ukraine is always scary, and the physicality of and some of the you know, players that the Wales have are obviously terrifying as well. So it, it's not there's not a single game that's going to be a, a cakewalk by a mile. Yeah, what sucks too is the game against Iran. That's going to be the United States' final game yeah. in the group. So more than likely, that's the game where we need to get three points, right? It's going to be a lot of pressure in that last game, to say the least. So do you, where do you think the USA ends up finishing in this group? Let's let's work under the assumption that it's like Wales because going through. Because personally, I think that's the more likely of the scenarios for that for that final spot. Mm-hmm. If it's Wales going through. I see in my heart the U.S. going in second. 
I honestly don't know if they ha- are able to get out of that group, if it's Wales. I'm going to be frank. The way we played qualifiers does make me nervous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we we really left it to the end in qualifiers. And admittedly, the, the opponents in in the qualification are – not up to the level of England, Wales, or Ukraine, to be frank. Um, and if we're skating, if we're just getting by there. I mean, we're going to be playing the best. I know we played England before and beating on the World Cup. And obviously it's great to our beat. We tied them. And then we also beat them in 1950. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's great to reminisce on those memories, right? But this is not that England team. This is by far probably the most talented England team they've had. Since the World Cup. Long time. Since 66. In a very, very long time. So that game against England is more than likely it's, it's going to be a loss. Let's be real here. Um, they're going to play it hard. Obviously, we'll see what happens. But then you're going to probably play Wales. You're going to spend a lot of energy in that, that initial game playing. And again, you're playing against an informed Gareth Bale. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I think they'd be luck, lucky to get a draw in that game, honestly. Like, to your point, Vito, like, those defenders and for the Welsh, they're they're big, big dudes. They're big bodied. Like they will bully the shit out of a number nine. And unless we put in someone like a P folk or a DK who's kind of used to that physicality, I, I, I'd be curious. Obviously, it's months away, but how the US would line up for those games and what they would kind of be doing from like a just tactical perspective. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, this is we we you know we talked about in the past how Belgium went through their golden generation, right? And this is maybe now France's golden generation for the first time in a while. I, I mean, look at this Welsh team. I mean, Gareth Bale, Aaron Ramsey, Daniel James, uh, Ben Davies, Ethan Ampadu, um, Wayne Hennessy, and that is, is no joke. I mean, the, the, this is this is a team that could easily finish second, and that will probably end up giving even England a problem to an extent, depending on which, I mean, which England shows up. I mean, it's a obviously they're going to be playing them hard. They they hate the they don't want any part of them. Oh, no, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No way. Every game's a blood sport, <laughs> literally for Look, every team. <laughs> I, I'm curious. Might be the guys... most politi- political group here. What's that? Might be like the most politically like challenged group here. We got yeah. <laughs> God, God forbid we get in Ukraine. I mean, <laughs> in that group, and they come through. Look, let, let's let's be frank, because Mike, you're 100 right, and Steve, I'm curious to hear your take on this. If we beat England, I mean kudos to us but it's probably a fluke at that point let's be let's just be 100 honest cards on the table here anything but a win against wales might take us out of the group if we were taking our september roster before like for our very first qualifiers with all the inexperience not going through what we, they just went through with like this 14 game stretch i would say we're, we we come in third i have more confidence now, after like, granted, still some questions that have to be answered, but I have a lot more confidence now after they've been through one qualifying window together. We were missing guys constantly, plenty of injuries and all that kind of stuff, which can pop up in a World Cup too. So you know they have to be ready for that kind of situation. But England game is massive. A point there, a point against Wales and a win against Iran, we probably get through. Yeah, you I get four. You get four points, and you're you're in a good you're in a good spot. Realistically, yeah. so those are my best case scenarios. Um, if we could pick up three points in the first game, unreal. Yeah, here's the thing. But um, 
second place sets us up against either probably Senegal or Netherlands in the first round of knockouts because it's it's oh no you definitely yeah. want to be, you definitely want to get first grade first place in the <laughs> but I don't I listen I I we have enough talent to get through there's no doubt about it um and I really really want to get to the knockout rounds with this roster that we have because come 2026 if we go into that world cup not having knockout round experience I'm a lot more nervous because Truthfully, yes, we, we're dealing with a golden generation of our own for probably the first time in a long time. And we could make a serious run when it's on home soil. But we need to have enough of experience by that time in a, in a big competitive tournament like this. I, I agree, but it's tough looking at this roster for me, for me at least personally, and, and to make this experience um, argument. Because, I mean, look at Pulisic, Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, Brennan Aronson. These are players they're playing, all playing Champions League and they're playing yeah. Champions League. Yeah. So I don't know if experience is necessarily the issue as much as it is just overall individual quality in, in the back. Like, I would be much more, much happier if Brooks was back. I, I think that would be more important to me than just about anything else at this point in time because I think Turner's a good enough shot stopper that I'm not worried back there. The midfield's locked up, but I mean – I, I look at the center back position and the striker position. If we can just get an informed P folk or informed Pepe, then to me, I can say, yes, we should go through it. Anything less is kind of, kind of, um, kind of a failure. What, what is, what is your definition of success versus failure? I mean, look, if we play three unbelievable matches and we don't go through, I don't see it necessarily as a failure. I see it as coming into an incredibly tough competition against incredibly difficult opponents and playing our heart out and putting together some strong performances. So for me, I look at it saying, if we lose against like Iran, no disrespect to Iran, but that's the easiest opponent. If we lose to them, I could, I could say it's probably a failure because at that point we're not going through. Yeah. Iran's going to be a must win game. It's yeah. not even a question. It will be a must win game. So. How deep do you think they could go? Gross. But you got what I'm saying. Um, I think if we have that, enough talent, like we can legitimately make a run, like could make a run to, I think the quarters, I we have to have a lot of things fall our way for that. I just don't think we can based off what I've seen the previous couple windows. I think the deepest they could potentially make a run is to the quarterfinals or I'm sorry, uh, the round of 16. I don't think they get past the Netherlands or a Senegal team yeah. to be honest. I think to the route, to the quarters is unmit. It's like, top tier success for us to the group stage would be the goal through the group stage, excuse me, would be the goal. That's kind of a threshold. That's like, the, that's like the standard, the standard is get out of the group. Yes. Round of 16, we can pull off a freaking awesome win, maybe go to penalties or whatever it is. That's just bonus. Like we're playing with house money at that point, get to the quarters and just get like, just get all that kind of experience and go and going forward. Like mm-hmm. these guys need to understand, like there's a difference between playing in a 14 game qualifying window and then and, and then going into a three-game group stage mm-hmm. uh, one, one more question then we, we can move on to um if if the tournament was set up to be more champions league style where instead of you're playing three matches and going and then you know whoever's on the top goes through if this was set up to be a six-game format would you be more confident with the united states chances of going through given the inconsistency we've seen from the team in the past no, I'd rather them. I'd, ra- I'd rather I'd rather them have the three games, like three, the, three and done, three and done. Honestly, instead of the the extra ability to play and get points. So you think the longevity is more detrimental than the one-off like spurts of magic? 
Yeah. Interesting. Like you said, though, you know, one one player like an informed Pepe and like just someone along the, that caliber up front, yeah. they can carry a team. So yeah, no, I would agree. Sure. I don't think one way or the other. I'm just curious to get your guys' take on that. Um, speaking of the U.S., though, and just kind of get into a little bit more of their last window. Um, we had the draw against Mexico, the win against Panama, and we weren't able to cover the last game just yet. Uh, and as a Costa Rica game, we lost two nil. Kind of spoiled the whole, I guess, celebrating of making it to the World Cup like we just talked about. But thoughts on that game? It felt sloppy, disjointed. It felt like we played not to lose. Yeah, it certainly felt like – I mean, I've honestly, I think the first half of that game, the U.S. gave a shit and tried. But the difference was that Kaylor Navas was in goal, and he had about, like, I don't know, four just world-class saves, in all honesty. Um, if Kaylor isn't, yeah, we definitely had chances. If Kaylor wasn't in goal that game, they they probably were up one nothing at a minimum at at half. So I think once they kind of just got to halftime, they were like, all right, just don't lose by five goals. That's it. And then that was kind of the mentality. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, anything outside of what happened to us previous last game of the World Cup qualifying is a good result in my book. But I, you know what? Honestly, I don't care how they showed up that game. I. Every other game, I'll give a shit about their attitude and their effort. That last game against them, I said, I don't give a damn who shows up in what capacity or what you do. Your only objective is to not lose by six goals. I don't care how we got it done. That's yeah. it. So I, I'm, I'm fine with it. If Even if they came into that game mentally saying, I don't care if we score a goal, we'll just sit. We'll play Atletico Madrid. We'll go 5-5-0. I, I'm fine with it. I'm cool. Fair. Very fair. Um, some interesting comments. I don't know if you saw these or not. There was an interview done, I want to say, after uh, Bruce Arena's team lost 1-0 to Red Bulls, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, he was asked about some stuff that happened with the United States men's national team camp, and he basically came out and said Matt Turner had frostbite like four times, um, completely contradicting everything we heard out of the United States men's national team camp from Turner himself. I'll kind of get into that in a second. But do you think this is more of Arena just trying to start something, um, a United States men's national team cover-up? What do you guys feel? Uh, Arena trying to start something. I feel like he's that type of dude. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, agree. <laughs> I don't know. It's not like there's no merit to it. Um, I mean, even in Matt Turner's own words, like initially after that happened, he said he had tendonitis in his ankle. And then he directly yeah. said that was I'm, – I'm paraphrasing, but this is generally what he said that the reason he had the tendonitis was because he was trying to jog back and forth to stay warm, but his joints and his muscles were already frozen from the frostbite that he damaged them while he was doing it. And he was out for a couple of days because of that. And then he came back and recanted that basically. And apparently the United States Soccer Federation contacted a reporter who said that they spoke with the camp and said, no, it wasn't tendonitis. And then their, their response was, no, no, no. We said we didn't diagnose him with frostbite. We didn't say he didn't have it. He didn't diagnose it. And I'm like, okay, so we had it. <laughs> So you're not an alcoholic if you don't admit it then, right? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Do you think he had frostbite? I mean, I can't see how he didn't. Listen, it would make sense, given the conditions. It absolutely would, especially being a goalkeeper. Um, I don't know. I find it silly to lie about that kind of stuff. But I guess in the same sense, I, the United States has every right, every reason to, because it was qu- it was highly questioned why they even played a game in those conditions. So. It was funny. Bruce Arenas commented on that actually, and he said he's like, "I've I've been a part of the federation, you know, qualifying and all this." He goes, "Every country will pull these little gimmicks and tricks to kind of get a leg up," kind of saying basically like, 
a team from South America was coming up. We're going to play them in the freezing fucking cold. So they, <laughs> they're uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. Which, yeah, you get, you understand it, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not playing Canada, North Dakota. I'm playing them in Miami. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're not I, I, I thought that was guitar, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Turner, basically what he, like Vito kind of touched upon already. He said he had tendonitis in his left foot. Um, that was 100% resolved back to normal. And then in a preseason game uh, on his other ankle or other foot, that's where another injury came in. That's why he's out so far currently. Um, so just an interesting kind of thing this, that happened over the past week. Uh, I thought that was kind of fun to talk about. Like Mike said, though, Bruce Arena, definitely that guy to start something. <laughs> um, some bad news, kind of Conrad De La Fuente. He's out the rest of the season. He has surgery on his knee. Um, he was, he's been kind of out of the United States men's national team picture for a little while now. But, you know, always just kind of on that horizon. He plays that, you know, top team over in France uh, with Marseille. I always thought he was one of our better natural wingers, kind of going on attacking, for, uh, attacking front. But we'll see. Maybe he gets back enough time to uh, potentially calm himself up. Mm-hmm. It'd be a long shot for him, but we'll see. Agreed. Agreed. One name, though, I definitely want to touch upon. Guys put in performance after performance and still has not sniffed the team recently. Uh, Cameron Carter Vickers over with Celtic in the Scotland, Scottish Premier League just scored the game winner. Uh, I want to yep. say against Rangers, right? Yep. Yep. And granted, you could take it. You could take it with a grain of salt. You know, match match player ratings from whatever website, whatever you want to be. But pretty much, if you go off FootMob, this guy has a seven point five in almost every single game. Celtic, he's killing it for Celtic. He's scoring goals, defending. Considering the questions that we have at center back. Are there any good reasons why he hasn't gotten the call up yet? Apparently him and Brooks have the same issues with Pearl Halter. Same issues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, consistent game time, consistent form. I don't know what more you want. Guys playing in Europe. It'd be. I would love for him to get a call up to the, the Nations League. Um, I think they stated they're going to, for the most part, keep the roster the same, which makes sense. I get it, you know, given the fact they want to keep the team together, build on the chemistry and whatnot. If there is a spot for him, um, him or Brooks, obviously I would love for them to come in if possible because give them a tryout, a chance. Um, preferably I'd rather have Brooks, but I could definitely see the case for bringing in Cameron Carter-Vickers in the form he's been in for Celtic, so... Do you think it was actually kind of, I don't know if you even realized you kind of said that, but do you think um, Greg has his 23 for the World Cup already or relatively in, yes. in his head? Yeah, yeah, a thousand percent. Without a thousand percent. He's going to give other guys looks in my, I, I think he will at least, hopefully not MLS players, but he'll give guys looks. Um, but in terms of who he wants to bring, if everyone was fit and healthy, 150%. Not yeah. a question in my mind. It's interesting you, you bring the MLS players because the World Cup, for if anyone's not aware, typically it's held. It's always held in the summer months. You know, your June, July, right around that that time frame. Um, with the extreme heat over in Qatar, obviously he's not gonna be able to play during those months because the temperature gets up to like 110, maybe even more. So what they're doing this year is putting it in the winter. So I think I want to say it starts November 21st, the first game. Um, first or yeah, first game days. So MLS season pretty much ends. I want to say what like a week or two before. So theoretically being like the most form when some of the guys in Europe, you know, just kind of get into the swing of things. You have like what, two months into the season. So they're probably just hitting their stride at that point. It's going to be interesting to see how Greg kind of weighs that 
being with some guys, maybe not necessarily getting as much time. And then the MLS season ending, they might be in better form. I don't know. Just something to throw in there, a little conspiracy theory. Yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of look at it the opposite way just because, like, you're going to have tired legs in the MLS from a long season. And the season starting in August in the Premier League and everywhere else, you're probably going to have those guys fresh and then in their prime. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Steve. I think he's going to end up looking at MLS players. I mean, that's just that's just correct. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he decides to bring Jesse Zardes to the World Cup, to be completely honest with you. You know, Ariel is locked in, though, especially after that goal. Yeah, I'll tell you who's not coming, Josh Sargent. It's not looking good for Joshy. No, no. What if he has an interesting situation, right? So he left a team that got relegated over in Germany, came to Norwich, who by all accounts pretty much are not officially relegated, but going to be relegated. I think it's more beneficial. He stays, plays in a lower division, beats the crap out of some opponents, maybe scores a bunch of goals. That gives, in my opinion, gives him his best shot to actually get his call up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would well, transfer to be, again. To be frank, no one else is going to be coming in for him. He's not an established established veteran. He's a young player still. And until he makes he makes that mark, I mean, no one who's ever been relegated from two teams in two different leagues is, is getting a call up to the Premier League at this point. It's just not going to happen. So if they go down, I can't see many suitors even coming in for him to, to make that happen. Well, don't forget, people get the, you get cut you know, bargain prices on a bunch of players too when someone gets relegated, right? So there's always that that kind of situation. I don't know what his contract is. I'm assuming Norwich isn't paying out, you know, hundreds hundreds of thousands a week for him by any means. <laughs> by ten, but um, it, you know, there's you, you can't really rule out maybe going to France, going back to Germany, or something along those lines. I just think it's best that he stays, plays at a level of competition where he can, I don't want to say dominate, but you know, probably stands out as a little bit more above average. So gives him his best chance, in my opinion. France would be interesting though. For his play style, yeah, I think so too. Um, but I, I think it's enough about the international. We are also a Premier League podcast, so we might want to cover a few <laughs> things that happened over the past week or so. Uh, Liverpool two 0 win over Watford. Nothing too crazy there. I think we all kind of saw that one coming. Brighton and Norwich finally neither team lost, but they did draw and only pick up a point each. Uh, that ended, I think, a five match um, beaten streak for both of them. <laughs> uh, Burnley nil, Man City two. That match is pretty much over within the first, I want to say, twenty five minutes. Yeah. Um, the one upset we kind of, I feel like we all saw coming, but I guess none of us wanted to put our money where our mouths were. Chelsea won, Brentford four. Uh, Brentford get their revenge after they've played Chelsea twice uh, very difficultly, uh, or very difficult early on in the season. Um, Rudiger launched an absolute rocket of a shot. It only took him about four years to, to complete that, but he finally got one. <laughs> Erickson got um, his goal. Erickson got his goal. Yeah. 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 Every couple games. What's up, Vito? He can't stop getting his goal. He scored for Denmark twice, once back in the stadium where he had his, his heart attack. I know. Are you talking about Ericsson now? Unbelievable yeah. story. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, unreal. Uh, Leeds won, Southampton won. James Ward-Prowse uh, hit another free kick, and he equaled. Or did he take uh, equal of it completely? Equaled the uh, free kick. Would uh, you, would, record would you say best free kick taker in the Prem right now? Yes. Right now, absolutely. Best free kick taker in a top five league. Not why Messi exists. <laughs> no. Te- technically, league one uh, is not a top five league. <laughs> no, they're back. They came back. Uh, are they? They, <laughs> are they, they, got the, they, got, they got the coefficient back. They're good. <laughs> yeah, they, they got it. By, by the skin of their teeth, they got it. 
Mike was trying to play games with you on that one. Um, Although PSG just get knocked out in the round of their the round of sixteen, <laughs> so maybe not. <laughs> Big facts. They might be. They might be back down. We'll get back down. Yeah. Um. Honestly, dude, he's so nasty. That's such a specialty of his. Messi's so good in other parts of his game where maybe that shines more than his free kick taking ability. Although he's very good at it, I would probably take Ward Prowse. You think for or Messi's free kick? Yes. You think you think for England he gets into the squad just to have that free kick ability? <laughs> oh shit! Free kick, get on there. <laughs> just, talk, just sub him in real quick. Like, hey, take yeah, when, when you're done figurehead injury, you gotta take you off without a sub. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, he's the reason Southampton's even in the Premier League still. I, oh, yeah, for you sure. Gets, you don't think it's called in? I think it does. No, I don't think it gets called up. I think there's just way too much talent in that team. I mean, he's good. Don't get me wrong. The guy is good, but I don't. I don't think he's going to overtake a couple of the established guys in that squad. All right, write that one down. I disagree. We're betting on it. <laughs> what are the odds right now? I don't know. I'm just betting you straight up. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Uh, going back to Premier League results, we got Wolves 2, Villa 1. Uh, good result for Wolves, keeping pace with a couple other teams that are fighting for Europe with them. Uh, Manu 1, Leicester 1. I mean, that basically epitomized their entire season, both of them. Uh, West Ham 2, Everton 1. Really big blow for Everton. Aaron Cresswell, banger of a free kick from I talk about free kicks. That was beautiful, left footed right over the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, your boys, Tottenham 5 1 over Newcastle. How'd that one feel? Uh, to be honest, at first, very scary when they gave up a goal. It was a nice free kick, too, by Fabian Schar, right around Hugo Lloris's wall. But then it was five unanswered. And, God, that trio, Kane, Son, Kulaveski, looks better and better each week. So, uh, well, it's going to come down to the wire for the race to top four, which we'll get trust to. And then get Conte to stay. Yeah, trust Antonio Conte, man. Biggest mistake Chelsea did was letting him go. I mean, well, he did that pretty much every other manager. Well, that and Marata, but that's it. story. (laughs) I don't know. All right. Actually, (laughs) Torres, come on. No, no. Oh, yeah. I was going to say Torres or Marata. Yeah, but Torres scored against Barcelona for the first Champions League. You got to leave him in the – you can't put him in that equation now that I think about it, you know? He does have one of the best goals ever for that. So, okay. (laughs) We'll we'll give him that on legendary status. Um, Our travels, though. Arch rivals here in footsteps. Arsenal, 3-0 loss to Palace. We heard it coming. We saw it. Yeah. I actually want to touch on this one, if you guys don't mind. I, this was – God, this is this a classic Arsenal going to Arsenal story here? I mean, they're obviously outperforming where we expected them to, miles above where we thought they were going to be after the, the first three matches of the season. But this was a real chance with games against Tottenham and Chelsea still to play to cement that top four spot a little bit, like at least get their foot further in the door. I mean, a win would have taken them within two points of Chelsea at that point in third place. I'm going to be honest, that entire game, like granted they had the more possession of the ball, but whenever Crystal Palace hit them on the counter, they looked gassed absolutely gassed like they couldn't even they couldn't even keep up with them at all like Gahey Tyreek Mitchell Gallagher Zaha just sprinting through the defense like I mean they looked just like a shell of themselves honestly it was kind of amazing to watch not just as a Spurs fan but just like as a fan of watching them play right and the fact that the performances they've been putting in week in week out to see them 
perform like that. I was honestly kind of shocked that they didn't, they obviously had a couple chances, but it didn't seem like they put up more of a fight than they probably could have or should have. Do you think this was a case of Arsenal being exposed for the quality that they are? And they maybe, maybe quote unquote, were playing up or a little above where, where they should have been? Or is this a case of just Palace had the ability to show up any day and they just showed up today and Arsenal did not? I think it's more on Palace, honestly. Right. I, I think Palace, and we've been singing their praises all year, like they are a very good team yeah. on their day and this unfortunately for arsenal was their day and they just <laughs> fucking steamrolled them like honestly sellers park is it's a fortress like it, it gets loud in there when they're when they're moving like i wouldn't want to play crystal palace at home at all so with with the quality of opponents arsenal still have to play and, and most notably injuries to Partey and kieran tierney out of for the season now what does this do to their chances for the top four I mean, they still have to play Chelsea. They still have to play Spurs. They still have to play who else? They, they have to they play Man t- they U. They actually have a tough schedule. They have to play Man U also, I think, right? And Everton. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're correct with that. Yeah. So those are all they teams fighting. All teams fighting season. for something. Literally, all teams fighting for something. So with the way Everton's playing, they, they, that might be a do or die situation for them that game. You know, yeah, so they got next up, they have Brighton uh, at home away to Southampton, then they have their game against Chelsea away at Stanford Bridge, Man U home that ends up April. Uh, their May, their May fixtures away to West Ham, home to Leeds, away to Tottenham, away to Newcastle, home and against Everton last match of the season. That is well, four, four of those games right there, teams very much in the hunt for Europe or getting out of relegation still. So that's that's not easy. That's not a guaranteed cakewalk. Yep. And I think any of those teams have the ability to take a win off of Arsenal. The only exceptions you could make to that are maybe Brighton and Southampton, but those are the next two games. So you're talking about ending your last seven games on games that are entirely going to be open and possible for a loss. Easily not that everyone points. is, but yeah. you, know, you get what I'm saying. Easily drop points in those games. Like it could happen. Shit, this is going to be such – oh, my God, this is going to be such a fucking great end to the season in, in every facet. Title race, top four, relegation race. Oh, it's going to be great. Well, speaking of relegation, we already have one result in uh, so far this week. We record, we're, we are recording on a Wednesday, so we had the Burnley-Everton match. Uh, Burnley 3, Everton 2, massive, massive result in the relegation battle. Uh, Burnley was four points back going into this one, level on uh, matches with Everton. Um, so now they're one point back with a better goal differential. They got minus 17 versus a minus 20 for Everton. Um, guys, looking at these schedules, Everton, I don't want to keep rattling off random fixtures here, but they run into Manchester United at home, Leicester at home, Liverpool away, the Merseyside. I, that, that's going to be an interesting one. It's a rivalry game. You never know what could happen, but it's Liverpool. Um, then they run into Chelsea, Leicester again. Um, they, do, they do have Watford. Still to play, which could Watford's only three three points back of them. That that could also have massive results towards the end of the season as well. Uh, Brentford Palace, who beat them four nil in the FA Cup not long ago, and then they, again when they end with Arsenal. How legitimate is a uh, Everton relegation right now? Extraordinarily legitimate. I mean, I see a potential of seven points. Maybe they could pick up in that schedule. Realistically. The game against Watford, the game against um, who did you say prior? Was it Brentford? Right, Brentford they have as well. Yes. Yeah, and then maybe they can get a draw in one of those other games. 
I don't know. It, it's very I mean, Lester on any given day. You never know what's coming. So I, if you're going to find a random three points in there that they weren't expecting to get, I would probably throw it against them at home. Maybe. And they play it twice, right? They play them twice. Yeah. So I, listen, I, if I had to put my money on it, Lester's not going to show up one of those two games. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say the game so in between. Give him something there. <laughs> they show up from the outside ones. Every <laughs> 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 other one with them. Yeah. But, uh, it's possible. I, and I don't know about you, but what makes me more worried is we haven't seen an improvement since Lampard took over. I mean, they were out-possessed no. and just about outshot almost by a team that their entire game plan for survival is sit back and soak up pressure and hit on the counter. And they were outplayed. There are rumors even floating right now after that game today that there was emergency boardroom meetings about Lampard. do we get rid of Lampard right now? Like, yeah. if we bring in somebody right right now? I'd be curious. Do you, do you think that's the right move to just say, hey, you had to get chance. relocated and he's gone? They get relegated, he's gone. Period. I'm saying, no, not, not, not even that. I'm saying if you're Everton right now and you have this upcoming game in the weekend, you know what? He's played how many games now for, with them? Eight? Five, six, seven, maybe. Right? He's coached how many? Uh, that's true. Probably maybe eight. Right? I mean, and they haven't won at all, really. So, if, if I <laughs> do, you roll the, do you roll the dice with him or do you just say, hey, we got to bring in somebody and switch it up and do something to do anything? But how much can a new manager affect in what an eight game stretch, seven game stretch, whatever they have left? I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm with Steve. I think you stick it out, but. I, this is actually crazy. I, I, I'm curious if this is the first time it's ever happened. And before that game against Burnley, Everton received a red card in each of their three previous Premier League matches. <laughs> How is that even possible, first of all? Second of all, I mean, they got absolutely smoked by Tottenham. They lost one out of the city that they had a chance with, I get. But the only real win they had, to your point, Mike, is a game against Newcastle, which they snagged the last second. I mean, yeah, imagine not... Iwobi didn't get that goal right now. Yeah. They're sitting, oh my God. They're sitting two points back. Look. And if they didn't have the start to the season they had, oh. The problem is they're in Norwich territory. They have the players to do it. And my initial That's the mind boggling part. Yeah. My, my initial thinking was look, the manager's putting out an incredibly strong lineup. They're possessing the ball, they're taking shots, they're just not winning games. What the fuck's going on? Right. But you change your manager. And you haven't seen any change in that in those performances. So it, is it the manager is the question. Like there's only two ways to look at it. it manager change hasn't changed anything. You have strong players. They're not performing. Well, something's got to give eventually. Like you go up and down that roster, right? You have two, you have two really good strikers. You got Dom, uh, Calvin Louie and you have a Charleston. Granted, I know uh, Calvin Louie had some injuries throughout the season and stuff so okay. far. But regardless. What's up? Calvert-Lewin. <laughs> oh, whatever. Um, we, we, we know this about me already. If, if anyone's not listening, I can't pronounce any single name and any single nationality other than my own. Um, and that's a fact. And they, and they gave me the host abilities. Um, you have those two a striker. In my opinion, I'm not going to say they're two of the top like guys in the league or anything, but as a one-two punch kind of combination – it should if be you're going near the, it should the be. bottom, yeah, the bottom half of the table where, where they're at. That's that's one of the top ones. Demar Gray had a fire start to the year. I will be, I mean, say what you want about him. He has his good moments here and there, though. So decent wingers, two good strikers. Midfield. 
you have uh, Deli Ali, who was recently signed for them. Um, El Ghazi. On a side note, well, but well, yeah. yeah. I still think when I th- when I see Deli Ali, I still picture the 19 year old kid playing for Tottenham. Do, yeah. do you guys? Yeah, I, I, I wish it was still the 19 year old kid playing for Tottenham. I really do. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, you're right, Steve. Ducare, Andre Gomes, Oh Allen. Allen's been hurt though, right? I don't think he's really Allen, I think Allen's been out. Yeah, I think he has been, but I, he had that red card also. That was a bad. Yeah. Oh, he's got 20, he's got 22 starts this year. That's more than enough to make an impact. Well, apparently his impact is losses. So I don't know how much impact you want from him, <laughs> but this is a team Does that is fighting with Leicester to try to get into the top eight, not to avoid relegation. And when you have this much quality, you can't help but look at the managers, right? I mean, there's a certain point where it just. I don't. I think yeah, locker the, room. I think it's the players, man. I don't think it's the manager at this point. I think it's the players think they're too hot for their own shit. At, get rid of both of them. How's that? Change the squad and get rid of the managers if that's what it takes. <laughs> but well, you get you get, you get relegated. That's going to happen because you ain't going to afford this <laughs> much longer. I mean, dude, no. even you got Pickford, you got Begovic as a backup. Like the team. I'm not saying they're stacked, but they got they got start like they they have way more quality than a relegation squad does. They're gonna be playing in a brand new stadium in the championship. <laughs> but let's put that in fucking perspective real quick. I mean, this is not a championship team. It's not, and they, I mean they should they should be ashamed of the way they're performing on the field. It's it's not even like they're losing one zero every game. I mean, they got blown out five zero by Tottenham, and at that point in time. Like no disrespect to Spurs, but they weren't playing great when that happened. No. So it wasn't like they came across an Antonio Conte Spurs that we see now. They came across a team that was scraping by at the, that moment in time where Ali and, and Kane weren't connecting to the level that they were until then, actually. Um, Debat- debatably, that game actually kickstarted. kickstarted Spurs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking yeah. that too. I was thinking that too. <laughs> I mean, you, you let in three goals against – a Burnley team that is fighting for survival in their own right. And that has only scored 22 goals in 28 games before that. And three goals. And one, of those, one of those other games, I think they had three goals as well. And that's the only time all year. So, and they're one of them. Yes, exactly. You're talking about a team that doesn't even average more than one goal a game. And you just shifted three. After yeah. you led one Oh, I think what's the most damning is after that game today too, Sean Dyche was interviewed and they asked him like, Hey, how did you prepare? What were the tactical adjustments you made? And paraphrasing, he said something along the lines of, Hey, like we've been in this battle many times. And he's like, he's like, I can kind of sense it. He's like, I don't think they know how to win a game from this point on. I don't think they know what to do at the end of the second half. (laughs) I was like, that is like a shot to the heart. (laughs) Oh my God you know, them playing away. He said it in a much nicer way, like a Sean Dyche, all happy way. But I was like, that is a savage thing to say, man. (laughs) Absolutely savage. Fact of the matter is, there's only four teams in the entire league who have led in more goals than Everton. Two of those are at the bottom in Watford and Norwich, and Watford is close to that. And the other two are Leeds, which, I mean, let's be real. We expect Leeds to ship in 65 goals. We expect them to score 70, right? And and Newcastle, which are about on par with them. Four incredible relegation candidates, and Everton's right there. So saying anything other than the fact that Everton are, in, in, like, what? I give it a, a 
75% chance at this point they end up in the relegation zone. Yeah. Have we seen a team like this in past seasons that was in my, like, preseason, I'm not going to say Everton was in Europe, like, locked in, but, you know, probably that's their fight. You would, you would, you, you would give them a top 10 finish. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Every top year. 10. Every year. Yeah. 10 or 11, like, somewhere in the 11 to 10, like, I, around that. I even pushed Have them higher. Have we dropped that far? Dude, the only team that I can think of is that one season Chelsea were like in like last place after like 20 games. Outside of that, no. No team with this amount of quality in my my memory has ever been this far down the table this late in the season. Ever. Right? I I can't remember one. No. It's it's like the reverse Leicester story. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're mortal enemies, the anti-Leicester. (laughs) <laughs> holy shit yeah right i got i, I just i can't be a Everton fan i have no like i don't even know how like what do you take of it nuts um moving on though we do have some other games just kind of looking into newcastle wolves is on friday everton versus man u massive game there for both teams man U fighting for top four or trying to survive even uh and everton just eh, well we just covered them um southampton versus chelsea Chelsea really needs to get another win under their belt after two straight losses. Uh, Arsenal versus Brighton, maybe bounce back in for Arsenal. Brighton's been, after their hot start to the year, they've been very hot cold. Dogs. Yeah, very cold. They're uh, Damari Gray. What? What's up? They're like Damari Gray, but as a team. That was well done. That was well done. Soccer jokes. Um, Watford versus Leeds, another good relegation battle, kind of at the bottom. Leeds, we, we've mentioned they're pretty much up and out of this, but I would say three points here, and they they they're like guaranteeing themselves. Watford, yeah. if they can somehow, you know, Sar comes out of nowhere, drops a brace in this one, gets three points, can make that make their relegation battle even better. Uh, Villa versus Spurs, Spurs come off a massive win against Newcastle. Interesting to see what they do. Um, Brentford versus West Ham starts the Sunday matches. That should be an up-and-down game. Kind of interesting to watch that one. That could easily be 3-3. Um, Leicester versus Palace. And then um, the two main ones, in my opinion, I'm sure you guys agree with this one as well. Norwich hosting Burnley. Relegation uh, candidates, obviously, in Norwich. Burnley trying to fight for their survival. And then the biggest one of all biggest ones, Man City hosting Liverpool. The top two battle right now. Are they? What are they, point separated, I think? I would have thought that was the smallest game, actually. This <laughs> uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a point. Liverpool are a point off the pace of City. Uh, so, higher on goal. Winner of this or the person who gets the better result, I, I would say better result even is a draw for Man City uh, over versus Liverpool, obviously. But um, if a team is to win this game, I think they finish it through? I don't know. Uh, that's... That's tough. That's a tough, tough call. It's going to be – it's all to play for. Like, because mm-hmm. you get you, – I kind of get the feeling, too, we're going to see them play in Europe. I kind of think it's going to happen. I, I think, think it's going to be the Champions League final. I think it's going to be in the Champions League also. So, mm-hmm. I think it adds, like, an extra layer of just intrigue and drama to this game so, so much more. So, And that's what counts at this point. Liverpool got their Premier League title after the drought. Um and obviously, City don't give a shit about the Premier League at this point. They want the Champions League, so that's where their resources are going to be focused, obviously. But I, I think the only way that this 
not the only way, obviously, but the biggest outcome for this match would be a city win because at that point, I think four points is too insurmountable for Liverpool to overcome. A Liverpool win puts them two points forward, but that just means one loss and city can go on another run of seven straight wins. No problem. So it's, it's much bigger if city win than, than if Liverpool were to win, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, a two game gap with seven to go. Yeah. And Liverpool's schedule, if you look at it too, you know, it's definitely the harder run in on mm-hmm. the back end of games. Like they have to play Man U, they have to play Everton. They're playing a Newcastle team that's got obviously new players. Spurs. Uh, they play Wolves, who are not a not a tough team to break down. City, on the other hand, I don't want to say it's a cakewalk with you know to disrespect other teams, but they're playing teams that they should, in theory, be able to roll over. So. I also they also have a semifinal match. I was uh, in just going to say that. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I, just, I, I didn't even know about that. That's awesome. This is yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. good. FA Cup. <laughs> We've been playing three times down the stretch. FA Cup semis, this this match to determine possibly the league winner, and then a, a Champions League final. Oh. I mean, you have to imagine they're going to go balls to the wall, right, in, this, in the Premier League matchup, and then probably rest a couple key players for Liverpool, Benfica, no disrespect, but a 3-1 aggregate at Anfield knowing that an FA Cup semifinal and then a game against Manchester United is on the horizon is probably the way Klopp's going to look at this. I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. Liverpool have never had the depth, ever. I mean, since Jurgen Klopp's been over there, no, they haven't been close to the level of depth that Chelsea's and Manchester City's have had, and I think that's what kind of been letting them down in the past. Um, so I think they're going to have to take this opportunity in the Champions League. I still think it's City's to lose. Even if Liverpool win this game, hypothetically, I still think it's City's to lose, just given the run-in that Liverpool have Agreed. at the end of the day. Agreed. So, at least for the Premier League. For the Champions League, that's a different story. For the FA Cup, that's obviously a different story. But All right. So, who takes it, boys? I think City takes it very Hist- narrowly. Historically speaking, oh, the title or the, the match? Well, match, you go title as well. Do both. Title, I think City end up holding on to it. The match, I think, historically speaking, because we've, we've seen this before. It seems like this is what the Premier League does. They pit these two teams against each other later in the season when the points are so crucial. And it's, it's ended in a draw historically, and I don't see that changing. I, I think both teams would be happy to walk out of that match, 1-1, 2-2 scoreline, and then hoping the other team slips up. The, only, the worst thing that could happen is, is a loss for either side. A draw is so over the last over the last four matches. Over the last four, uh, they've all been Premier League matches as well. Um, City have won two uh, by scorelines of four 0 and four one, and the other two were draws two two and one one. So definitely had the upper hand over Klopp, over, at least in the Premier League. Uh, over the last, I'd say, two seasons or so. Salah is also playing out of his goddamn mind. True. True. Thank God for Jurgen Klopp. Imagine how boring the Premier League would be without the title race between these two every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be like Germany or Italy or France or any of those it, other. I other mean, Italy countries. has a great title race going on right now. This yeah. year, yes. AC Milan is huge. I know. Great title race in Italy. So, any other final thoughts here, fellas? A lot to cover. Oh, man. Um, battle for top four. That's, that's what I love to see. It's what I love to – what's what I want. Spurs are not out of it yet. I was down and out, but we're back, baby. We're back. Bro, you've, been down, you've been down and out and back about 15 times this year. 
<laughs> what a jinx that was. Oh, you heard 7.35 Wednesday, April 6th, Mike Noen single-handedly sinks Spurs. <laughs> Pacific time, Pacific time. It's time Pacific to go time, East Coast here. <laughs> Anything else, Derby, though? No, I, I'm just really, really hoping as a Chelsea fan that they could obviously pull through in the Champions League, and even more so than that, it would be great to see the three Premier League teams in the semifinals of the, the Champions League and, and see kind of that, you know, Spanish monopoly over it officially dissipate. So I think that would be great for the game and and obviously for the club that I support. But who knows? Just hoping for some Very more games. Very fair. Now I'll do it for this episode of the Sunday League Screamers podcast. Like, comment, hit the bell, subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the SL Screamers underscore pod for daily tweets about the show, world football, the Premier League, and United States men's national team. I'm your host, Steve, with Mike Vito, signing off. <laughs>